I'm curious this morning, if Jesus was to walk through these doors as a human being, what do you think he would see? What do you think he would see this morning if he walked in? As I thought about that this week a little bit, I'm thinking, you know what? I don't think he would see how many chairs we've got set up, or he wouldn't really notice the building necessarily, or the lighting, or the sound, or the new paint in the lobby, as good as all those things are. I was thinking about it. I'm thinking, you know what Jesus would see? He would see people. He would see your hearts. And I believe he sees two different types of people. That's it. One is those that are fish, and the others are fishermen. Two types of people, not those that are on time and those that are late or those that are well-dressed and that are scrubby. Nope, he would say, you know what? He's going to see some of you as lost that need to be found and then others that are fishermen, those that are followers. He would see non-followers and followers. Another question I was wondering is what would Jesus want to see? What would Jesus hope to see? And I know that he would hope to see followers that had a heart after him, that their hearts were drawn to him. Not followers in the sense of following a blog or Facebook or Twitter or some sort of casual relationship, but God, I believe, if Jesus himself walked in these doors, he would wish to see intimate relationships where there would be an immediate connection with him. And I believe that that's really, to be followers of Christ, in Matthew 4, 19, that word follow means to cleave, to sell out, where we would be drawn to Jesus and would become more like Jesus. See, I believe following Jesus is more than just coming to church, more than just going to youth group or going to a connecting point or a Christian school or whatever. I am convinced that if you in your life will cleave to Jesus, if you will follow Jesus, your heart will burn for souls. And some of you are saying, man, my heart really doesn't burn for souls all that much. And I just want to challenge us that the truth of that, that the more you get to know Jesus, his heart is people, and our hearts can become people as well. It's interesting when you look at who was with Jesus, who did he spend time with? What, you know, who was Jesus fishing for? He was around the peop- different people that had committed adultery. He was around people that were sick. He was around the lepers. He was around prostitutes. And what he was saying is that everyone matters. And I'm convinced this morning that to follow Jesus is to fish for Jesus. That we are fishermen and fisherwomen. And, uh, and I want to encourage us to try to get our minds around that this morning as we talk about missions. Now, Jesus, when he came to the earth, he recruited 12 disciples, right? And, uh, and to help him to be fishermen. And he called them. He said, hey, come follow me and I will teach you how to fish. Not only for fish, which would, that was their, uh, some of their uh, professions, but it was, uh, he's saying, look, now I will teach you to fish for people. And I love that. And I got a little pop quiz for us this morning. And I'm wondering if you could hold your answers. Don't say them out loud, but hold them in your mind. There's just three questions here. And I'm, gonna, I'm interested to see if anybody gets these questions right. All right. So it's about the 12 disciples who Jesus called to be fishermen. And the first question is this, which of the 12 disciples was the first to follow Jesus. All right, don't answer, but get in your mind. Which of the 12 disciples was the first to follow Jesus? Question number two, which of the 12 disciples was the first to declare that Jesus was the Messiah? All right, a little pop quiz here. See how sharp we are this morning. Which of the 12 disciples was the first to declare that Jesus was the Messiah? Then number three is which was the first disciple of the 12 to, de- to demonstrate that he understood that Jesus came for the entire world, not just for the Jews? Who was the first disciple to understand that Jesus came for everyone, that everybody mattered? not just the Jews. All right, so how many of you uh, have three, three names in your mind? 
All right, a few of you have three names, okay? Uh, unfortunately, you're wrong, okay? <laughs> um, how many have two names in your mind, maybe? Now no one's answering. They're like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. All right, if you have two names in your mind, you're wrong. If you have one name in your mind, how many have one name in your mind now? All right, you are right unless the name that you have in your mind is Peter. Anybody have Peter in your mind? <laughs> And you're wrong, all right? And uh, the answer to all three of those questions, who followed Jesus first, who was the first to call Jesus the Messiah, and who was the first to demonstrate that he understood that Jesus was, uh, he came for everyone, for the entire world, not just the Jews, was, does anyone want to take a guess? John, no. Matthew, no. James, no. Peter, no. We already said no. Oh, there's two different Peters? Peter number one? No. Peter number two? No. I just heard it. Andrew. Yes. Andrew. And what's interesting about Andrew, he's barely mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay? Barely. But in John, John captures three different times he mentions Andrew And John is the last living disciple. And what's interesting about the Gospel of John is that 92% of what John uh, writes about is not found in the other Gospels. Did you understand that? A lot of times we tell new believers, read the book of John, because it's really a supplementary uh, uh, Gospel. And what we see, Andrew... Three times, and I want to look at these because there's something interesting about Andrew that I think relates to many of our lives. So turn with me to John chapter 1, and we'll start there. John chapter 1, Jesus is calling his first disciples here. And starting in verse 35, listen to what it says, and read along. It says, the, the next day, John was there again. This is the... Um, John the Baptist, okay? The next day, John the Baptist was there again with his two disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, get this for a second. We've got disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been kind of paving the way for Jesus to come. And two of John the Baptist's disciples When John the Baptist said, look, there's the Lamb of God, those two disciples, they left. They turned around and followed Jesus. They cleaved to Jesus, the same word in the Greek. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Kind of interesting. Uh, uh, get your mind around that. Jesus spent the day with these two disciples. They, were, they followed him to his home. And um, who knows what they talked about. But verse 40 says this. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said, and what he had said, and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to go find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. Andrew was one of the first to follow Jesus, first one to call him Messiah, that is Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. That's the first time you see Andrew mentioned in the book of John. Turn with me now to John chapter 6. And uh, it's interesting, we're going to exhaust everything that's said about Andrew here in about five minutes, okay, or less. Uh, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, we kind of see another picture here. This is where Jesus is feeding the 5,000. It says, after some time, uh, Jesus crossed over the shore of the Sea of Galilee. There was a great crowd of people following him because they saw the miraculous signs that he performed on the sick. Then Jesus went on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Okay? So there's all these people, Jesus is around, and when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd, or multitude, your Bible might say, coming toward him, he said to Philip, we're not talking about Andrew yet, but to Philip, where shall we 
buy bread for these people to eat. And he asked, he asked them all this only to test them. He already had in mind what he was going to do. But Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. The disciples are there. They're saying, there's no way in the world that we could feed all these people. And then Andrew, in verse 8, Andrew or I'm sorry, another one of his disciples, Andrews, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And listen to what he said. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And then Jesus says, sit down. And of course, he blesses it and provides it. So not a whole lot there. Andrew is there found questioning. In the third place in John, John chapter 12 Verses 20, we'll start there. Jesus is now predicting his death. Um, He's been anointed. um, uh, The triumphal entry where they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And uh, and then in verse 20, something happens here. um, For for the first time, Andrew gets a glimpse that uh, that that Jesus came not only for the Jews, but for the entire world. Let's look at it. It says, now there were some Greeks among them who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was uh, from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. There are non-Jews wanting to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew. We see him there. And what did Andrew do? Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. They brought them to Jesus, and then there's a a, a dissertation there from Jesus. And so what we're seeing there is that Andrew had an understanding. They brought non-Jews to Jesus, understanding that, uh, that God, Jesus, was there for more than just the Jews. That's it. And in many ways, other than that, Andrew is forgotten. And we saw that. We started naming names and as many as we could think of. And it was like, Andrew, what in the world? Why was Andrew so forgotten? Why isn't he a highlight? Well, there's three words that describe why Andrew is so forgotten. And the words are this, Simon Peter's brother. (laughs) Because we look at Peter, what about Peter? He was mentioned more than any other of the disciples. He was quoted more. He spoke to Jesus or spoken to by Jesus more than anyone else in the Gospels. Peter is always first when it's listed. Peter, James, and John, so on and so forth. It was Peter's shadow that fell on a man in Acts and healed the man. It was Peter that stepped out of the boat. It was Peter that 53 days after Peter had denied Jesus... He stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches, and 3,000 souls were brought into the kingdom. And what about Andrew? Andrew, he grew up in the shadow of his brother. He was, in essence, in some ways, an underdog, a nobody. But when you say that, you can't, I can't help but say, no way. Andrew was there. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Isn't that cool? And what's really cool is as I think about our lives in our world that we live in, the majority of what has been done or is being done in the world for the cross, for Jesus' sake, how many would believe is being done by people like Andrew? Giving a cold cup of water, doing it for Jesus behind the scenes nobodies serving God, giving their lives. And Andrew three times is recorded, which is an exhaustive study. And obviously we could dig in a little deeper on Andrew. We could. But all three times, he brought his brother to Jesus. He brought a boy with five loaves and two fish to Jesus. And he brought the gospel to the Greeks. Andrew brought people to Jesus. I want that to sink in. He was a fisherman. Matthew 4, 19, when Jesus called him, he was not only fishing for fish, but for people. And you know what? That, for Andrew's life, was enough. 
And I want you to know that when we engage in fishing for people, that is enough. The point is, you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be Simon Peter to bring someone to Jesus. You don't have to write a book, um, uh, uh, some book about Jesus or go to Bible school. You just need to get people to Jesus. That is our call. And that's what missions is about. That's what we are fishing for. We're fishing for people. Now this morning, I want to take just a couple moments to bring a couple things that will help us to get the gospel to Jesus. And these are things that will challenge our minds, hopefully, and if they're on our minds, it'll help us facilitate getting people to Jesus. And the first is the lostness of humanity. Bible says, for all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. How many know that verse? Have heard it before? Most of us here. But I want you to understand what that means. That means that the guy living on the lake shore, maybe with a lake house that would, that would just be awesome, that's, but is uh, driving a, a Lexus or a Mercedes or whatever the case might be, he might have a corporate plane or whatever the case might be, that man is as lost as the witch doctor in Africa. Just as lost. That man would be just as lost as a serial killer locked up in the penitentiary. And some of you are thinking, really? Because we judge on a different scale. But the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous. Even on our best day, we could not earn our way to heaven. The lostness of humanity, when we get our mind around that, when we start to think about that, and we start to think about our friends and our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, our, our stu- uh, the students in our school, our teachers, whatever the case might be, if we can get a mind full of the, the lostness of humanity, I believe it'll encourage us to fish for people, to share our faith. The second thing that I think is important to remember is the certainty of eternity. How many believe that at conception, a human life is born? I believe that wholeheartedly. And I believe from that moment forward, eternity begins for every soul, for every person. Eternity. And God has a purpose and a plan for us. And we need to embrace that. We understand that. But the truth is, in God's word, when we dissect it and carefully uh, um, give it an analysis, there are only two possible destinations that where we will end up. One is in heaven with Jesus. The other is separated from Jesus in a life, an eternity in hell. The certainty of eternity. And, And you combine that with the lostness of humanity. Shouldn't that grip us? and motivate us to fish for people? In other words, we are all going to live forever. We may not live on this earth forever, but we will, our soul will live forever. And we are called to make a choice, to make a decision. The third thing that I think is important is not only the lostness of humanity, the certainty of eternity, but the exclusiveness of of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't come and say, I am one way to get to heaven. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's only by Jesus that you and your friends can be saved. That is important for us to embrace. God's word makes it very clear that you are only found, you can only become a follower of Christ when you follow Jesus, when you accept Jesus into your life. And salvation, it's not easy, but it is simple. We don't have to follow 16 fundamental truths, or we don't have to follow even the Roman road to salvation, as good as that is. What we need to do is to surrender our lives and say, yes, to Jesus, God, come into my life, forgive me of my sin. It's that simple. And I love what it says 
in Romans, whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the crux of missions, that there's this lostness, there's a certainty of eternity, and there's a way to the Father to make it to heaven, and it's simple. And I know that many of you know the way, and we understand that, we embrace that. But I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, we see an encouragement here. And we, that's where we see the verse that I just quoted. It says, everyone, starting in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's embrace that together. Say that with me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say they might be saved or if they're good enough or if they look good or if they've got enough money or whatever. If they call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. But then in Romans, it continues. It says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How many know you can't believe in something you haven't heard, right? And that's what it says. And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And in verse 15, and how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Missions is about getting the gospel to people. Sending fishermen. Sending people. And we support and we send people to go fish on our behalf. That's part of missions. And when we send people, we are entering into their reward. Every time a missionary that we support wins someone for the Lord, we experience the reward of that as well. Isn't that incredible? That's our privilege. That's not only our responsibility, but it's our reward. And the truth is, is that there has to be some sort of urgency, I believe, in our hearts. Because there's a priority in heaven, and the priority in heaven is an intercession for the lost. What is Jesus doing? He's interceding for you and for me. But that's not just those that are believers. He is interceding on the behalf of every lost young person, every teenager, Every young adult, God is interceding on behalf of every middle-aged to older adult. Married, single, doesn't matter. The priority in heaven is an intercession for the lost. And our job, I believe, is to get people to the master. It's not our job to save them. Jesus does that. A great example of that is in Acts chapter 16. Um, uh, Lydia hears the good news when Paul, uh, when Paul uh, mentions, gives the message. And Lydia responds to the gospel. In verse 14 in uh, Acts chapter 16, it says, The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Isn't that cool? It was the Lord. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't some clever trick or some kind of, uh, you know, Houdini uh, act on Paul's behalf. Paul preached the word, was faithful, but the Lord did the work and changed the heart. Look, I am not capable to save one person, and neither are you. And there's a comfort that comes with that. But there is an urgency that Jesus is coming soon. He's coming back for the church. And I believe our responsibility is to give people a chance, to give people a choice. And so number one, we send. We send people to fish on our behalf. That's what missions is. But we can't just send people. We can't just write the check and say go. I believe that each and every one of us are on the hook pun intended, to fish on our own. We need to fish personally. We need to cast our nets. And I want to encourage us that we can be more effective if we're preaching or if we're fishing in the right places. We're fishing in the right places. Uh, Mike Olinsky took me out on his boat earlier this year to get salmon, 
and Mike was a mastermind. He had studied and done his homework. And on, on the morning that we went out at 5 in the morning, we went right out. He knew how deep. And he was watching his sonar. And we were successful, got four humongous salmon in a short amount of time. And it was awesome because he knew where to fish. And can I just say this? That we need to understand where we are to fish as well. What that means is that it, you know, it would be boring if you just go out and you don't catch fish. That's not as much fun. So stop fishing for souls in your small group or in your youth group or uh, in one of your connecting points, right? Or in your Christian school. But we are called to cast the nets. And we need to know where we can cast those nets, where we can encourage people to come along and to follow Jesus. How many can think of somewhere in your life where you have the potential to cast some nets where there are lost souls? We can, hopefully we can all think of a few areas that we can do that. Well, the third thing is that we need, I want to encourage us to stock the pond. All right? We're talking about fishing here. Uh, that pe- that uh, people, when you stock the pond, when you bring, when you invite people here, to the Gateway Church that are lost or that are searching for the Lord, I, we, will, we promise to throw the nets and trust God for the harvest to come. I believe corporately, together, we need to be stocking the pond on a regular basis. That means we need to follow those Holy Spirit nudges where the Lord has put something in our heart to invite someone to come and to be a part, to give an invitation, to drag them here, whatever a case might be. But in the commitment that we've made is that we will cast the nets here at the Gateway Church. Aren't you glad you're a part of a church that cares about souls? We, we don't want a Sunday to go by where we don't give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus. So the challenge, the reality, the big picture here, and the reason we take a month to really highlight missions is that fishing And even fishing for souls, it takes money. I've recently got into spear fishing, which is really an absolute blast um, here in Michigan. Didn't know that you could do that. I mentioned it last week, so I won't spend a ton of time um, talking about it. Um, But it's so much fun, and uh, spear fishing is. But what's interesting is that spear fishing takes some resources, to buy a spear gun and a mask and a snorkel and the fins. And in Michigan, West Michigan, you better have a wetsuit and gloves and a hoodie uh, to go along with it. You also need a weight belt to get you low and to, uh, so you're not floating back up. You need a stringer. You need a dive flag, a float line. And that's just to get started. And so it takes a little research. <laughs> and Jessica's just shaking her head back there. <laughs> And it takes the gas to get to the lake to make sure that you're fishing in the right place, by the way, right? Fishing takes money. And fishing for people, fishing for the lost, takes finances as well. And that's why we stop and we kind of take some time to talk about money and missions together. Each of us have to wrestle with this truth. What are the priorities in our lives? How are we spending our time? How are we spending our talents? And how are we spending our treasures? And I have no problem standing in front of you saying, boy, you need to consider these things in your life. I've uh, committed that I don't see who gives and who doesn't give, and I want to keep it that way, at least in this season of my life. But over these next three weeks, it's important for us to embrace and to ask the Lord, God, what would you have me to give in regards to missions? And, but it really starts with our treasure our resources as a whole. And I want to ask the Lord uh, that uh, he will speak to 100% of us over these next three weeks about our treasure, about our resources. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will speak to some in regards to your tithe, your first fruits, what we call it, giving 10% back, which I believe that Scripture and the Lord requires or desires from us. 
And I believe that there's a blessing that's available for those that give their tithes. And uh, I just recently heard uh, someone called tithing kind of like the the training wheels. That's the first thing you do when you get your paycheck is you give 10% away. I was required growing up that that was the requirement in my house, that if I lived under the Vey household, I had to give a tithe. We require that for Reagan and for Logan, and we have lived that way our entire lives. And what's interesting is there are some of us here this morning, no doubt, that have not been faithful in giving of their tithes, of your tithes. And you need the blessings that come from being faithful with your first fruits. And so I can stand before you this morning and encourage each and every one of us to give, to tithe. And again, it's the starting point. It's the training wheels, and we want to do that. By the way, when you give your tithes, 10% of the tithes that you give go to missions. How many are thankful for that? Isn't that exciting to think about? So when you're faithful and you say, oh man, I'd love to give to missions and maybe I'll, I would be tempted to give some of my tithe to missions. No, your tithe is to the Lord. We believe in storehouse giving where it comes to the local church where you're being fed on a regular basis and it starts with 10%, but know that when you give, you're giving into a missions-minded church and 10% right off the top goes to fund missions. That's awesome. But it's not just financial blessings as well. How many can attest to that? There are so many. The Bible says that the windows of heaven will open up and pour out over us when we give and when we're faithful in this. And if I could, I would make you do it. (laughs) I just would. Because it's something that even as hard as it might seem, it will bring blessings into your life. If I was your parent, I would make you. (laughs) But I also am praying and asking God to speak to our hearts in regards to what I call offerings or faith promise giving. And I didn't ask uh, um, Bonnie to do this, but uh, Larry, can you help me out? Um, If you could have Bonnie, and it's in my notes, but I never connected this morning. I apologize. Uh, We want to get the faith promise uh, commitment cards. And uh, as we leave today, we're going to give everybody one of those just to consider. And so I want to make sure we have enough of those ready for both services. And uh, thanks for helping me out. But I believe that the Holy Spirit over these next three weeks is going to speak to your heart in regards to faith promise giving. It's the primary way that we send people to fish for souls through faith promise giving. The missions wall that used to be up with all those pictures, um, that actually, one of the reasons we're redoing that is because there were probably 10 or 15 additional pictures we could have put up and we didn't have room for it. And so we're reconsidering some things and some things will be up by next week, hopefully. But what's interesting is that we, your faith promise giving, your offerings is what supports those missionaries missionaries on a monthly basis the faith promise support goes directly out we keep track of that and we monitor that and what we want to do is we want to encourage you guys to grow in your faith promise giving how many have heard of david green the owner of hobby lobby has anyone ever heard of him a few of you guys have Well, it's interesting, Uh, they have um, been running Hobby Lobby stores for over 40 years now. And what's interesting, this week I was watching a Mission Summit video uh, in my office about, uh, and David Green was one of the key speakers, and he had about a 10-minute window, and he was talking about his family and the journey that they've gone from taking a $600 loan to now annually over three billion dollars in sales over 40 years how many think that's pretty incredible story well along the way they've always been a believing family they have given and at one point they made it a mandate within the company they said you know what we are going to officially try to out give god and they said how would we do that and what they did they came up with a plan that they gave, at one point they had given $30,000 away from the business. And uh, they said, okay, we want to double that giving every six months 
for the rest of the time that God would have us with this company. And what's interesting, so that 30,000, the next six months they gave away 60,000. The next six months they gave away 120,000. The next six months they gave away 240,000, so on and so forth. And you say, and they, they ran the numbers initially, and they said within five years there's absolutely no way that we could give that much money away. But the story is, last year, after 15 years of doing this, last year, in 2000, actually, this, I was listening, it was from 2011. From 2011, they gave away over $500 million to nonprofit organizations, to Christ, people that are reaching people with the gospel. How many like a sliver of that? <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? $500 million, and they're on track to do even more last year, and I'm sure this year, because you just cannot outgive God. Their company as an organization is really a pretty amazing story. Uh, with this whole new Obamacare and the mandate for health care, uh, there's a provision in health care now that uh, anyone can get an abortion and the government pays for that or that health care would pay for that. Well, Hobby Lobby, they stood up against that. You may have heard this in the news over the last uh, year and a half or so. And they, at one point, for almost a year and a half, were losing a million dollars a day in penalties because they stood up for what they felt was right to stand up. Hobby Lobby is an incredible story. But you know what? David Green, as he was talking about this, was humble. And just, he's like, look, you can't outgive God. But then he said something that captured my mind that I want to share with you. If you're taking notes, it's not on the screen, but I want you, I want you to write this down. As God blesses you, he said, your giving needs to change. As God blesses you, your giving needs to change. And the challenge is, with missions and with your life in general, we are, the challenge is that we need to ask God what he would have us to do. And it's, as God gives us those promptings and he gives us some encouragement in our lives, our response is to obey. That's the proper response. And I want, just want to say that if God, if it's from God, what he puts in your heart to do in your life or in your giving or whatever, it will prosper because God is a God of prosperity. He's a God of, of fruitfulness. And I believe if we obey, if we partner, if we're fishing, so to speak, for the greatest commission ever shared by Jesus himself, if we partner with that, we will be blessed. Now, I have a sense that God is going to ask us to do what has never been done at the Gateway Church. And I don't know exactly what that's going to look like for each of us, but I believe collectively God is going to speak to our hearts and we're going to see some miracles over the next 12 months. You say, what about your story? I mentioned last week that there was a season in our family where I was buying and selling cars. I had a dealer's license when I was in Dayton, Ohio. And for a long season, of our, for several years, we committed to give 50% of every car that we sold, we gave it to missions. And so at that point in our life, we were giving 8, 10, 12, I think we gave $14,000 one year to missions. And it was like, Lord, if you can get it to us, you can, we'll, we'll, you'll, we'll give it. And uh, it was just our commitment to the Lord, and God blessed us, our family. And we look back at that, and we're like, wow, that was pretty incredible, and uh, that, was, that was an exciting time. Well, when we moved here, things changed. We decided that we were going to go down to one income. And I told the story last week a little bit, how the sales on cars really dried up. And we're like, all right, Lord, what do we do? We had a heart for missions. We wanted to continue to give. And so we, it was kind of like starting from scratch and kind of hearing from the Lord all over again. And over the last couple of years, the Lord has increased our giving Two years ago, we, we gave a, a certain amount, and uh, we weren't sure how we were going to do it, and it was in the last month, in October, 
that the Lord provided, we were $2,000 short from our goal, missions goal, and we knew it, and we're like, Lord, we don't know how it's going to happen. And in one check, someone gave us a check for two, uh, for two grand. Actually, we were $1,800 short, and so we paid tithes on it and then gave the other $1,800 the very next Sunday. We fulfilled our missions pledge. It was amazing. We couldn't believe it. And so God had put, something, put it on someone's heart, and it was just neat how God did that. Well, last year, so that happened, and then we're here in Missions Month, last October 2012. And we're praying and asking God, what would you have us to do? And we're sitting there and we're saying, okay, we can't do less than we did last year. That's kind of what we were saying. And we're like, I don't know. And so together, Jessica and I, we said in, in, in that final service, we said, okay, let's believe God that he would allow us to give $5,000 in the next 12 months. And I'm like, whoa, and both of us. This is one income for our family, and it's, it's tight, and all the responsibilities, raising kids, all these things, we're saying we have no idea how we would do that. Then in second service, God says, nope, you're going to add another $1,000 to it. He speaks to me, and I fill out another card. Didn't even tell Jessica. I was too afraid, and, uh, and I don't recommend that. I don't recommend that, but she was gracious, and so $6,000 saying, how in the world? And I can say that this morning, in our first service, in our first offering, um, we fulfilled every single month, $500 a month, above and beyond our giving. The Lord has been able to bless it. If he can get it to us, we're saying, Lord, you can get it through us. Every dollar came in. Glory to God. And I don't share that to say, wow, look at, because I don't even think that's that big of a deal, honestly. Um, I think that um, I think there's many here that could give many times more than that. Others that have a hard time giving $5 a week, I don't know, or $5 a month, and that's okay. But someone said recently, in fact, there's someone on the, our missions board, they're saying, I don't know, asking me uh, personally, where in the world does the money come from for you? And I was like, well, I don't know where the money comes from. We don't have anything. It's not like we have this big reserve and uh, but I will say this, God has supplied our needs above and beyond anything that we could have ever imagined when we first got married. The Lord has been good to us. If God can get it to me, again, he can get it through me. And if it's God's idea, like I said before, I believe that it will prosper in our lives. The bottom line for the Vey family, we are blessed. You have one blessed pastor, and uh, we, are, we, we are so grateful, and God has been so good to us. And, uh, and people have said, well, you know, how, do you, how does that work? And we don't know where the money is coming from on many occasions, but God supplies our needs and our, even many of our wants, and we love that. On the flip side, for us as a church, we've been asked recently, how, what is it about your church? God is blessing and God is, you know, there's been growth and um, why has God blessed the Gateway Church so much? And my response is, it's not rocket science. <laughs> it's missions. Highlighting missions, keeping missions at the forefront is what has caused us as an organization, as a church to be blessed. And I just want to encourage each and every one of us to be faithful. And I know my time is running out here. Final perspective. Um, this week, uh, we were going through Francis Chan's book on Wednesday night, Crazy Love. And there was a part of the, the message or part of the reading this last week that Francis Chan was reminding us that our lives are but a vapor. That our life here on this side of eternity is a blip. And I mean, barely a blip on, in, the, in the course of eternity, all right? And it just is the case. And uh, what's the reality is that we've got to ask ourselves, what are we living for? Are we living for ourselves or are we living for eternity? And what I want to ask each and every one of you to consider is to join us in fishing for eternity, Fishing for eternity as the Lord would prosper. Fishing for Jesus. 
I want to remind you about Andrew, the apostle that, that in many cases has been forgotten. But I want to remind you that the majority of what has been done for Jesus and is being done for Jesus in this world are by people like Andrew, people behind the scene, silent donors, people casting their nets in the right place, people stocking the pond, people sending missionaries motivated by the lostness of humanity, the certainty of eternity, and the exclusiveness of Jesus. I believe that when we get our minds around these things, God will help us to embrace, again, Romans chapter 10. And this is where I'd like to close. I want to read this one more time, and then we're going to ask the Lord this morning, Lord, what are you speaking to me today? What are you speaking to me? That's the question. But I want you to listen to this one more time. You can turn with me there if you want. Romans chapter 10. Listen to what it says. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just let that sit in for a moment. And Brennan, you can join me here for a moment. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And in verse 15, and how can they preach unless they are sent? I believe God is going to call us and speak to our hearts individually I don't know what the next 12 year holds. We were talking about it yesterday for a brief moment and uh, we kind of like look at each other like, I don't know, what's next? Who knows? Could be less, could be more, who knows? But I do believe that the Holy Spirit, when we ask him, he will speak to us and he'll make it very clear. And he loves us enough to challenge us to partner with him in the greatest commission ever shared to reach lost people. This morning, I want, you to, to, I want you to ask the question in your own life. Lord, what are you speaking to me? Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me through this message? And again, it's not about Ben Vey or anything I've said this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to your heart this morning. And so let's just allow that question to resonate. Maybe to sit here quietly just for a moment saying, God, what is it, Lord, that you would have me to do? What what would you be prompting in my spirit in these next few weeks to do, to partner with you? And what we're going to do this morning that as we leave, we're going to give each and every one of you a faith promise card. And we don't ask that you fill it out today, but I'd like you to keep it in front of you. Maybe tuck it in your Bible where you're doing your Bible reading, or put it on the refrigerator, or put it in a mirror, or put it in your car so you see it every day. And just be asking the Lord, Lord, speak to my heart in regards to fishing, fishing in the right place, fishing, stocking the pond, bringing folks, and fishing with faith promise giving and sending people to make a difference in our lives. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? Would you challenge us in our lives? Would you do it for your glory, for your honor? Lord, I pray. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed this morning, we talk about reaching the lost, talk about throwing out the nets. It's possible there's someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, could I challenge you this morning to surrender your life to Him? To let God get a hold of your life 
and for you to surrender and say yes. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, it says in Romans. Also says it a little later, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the story of the gospel. If you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that you have Jesus in your heart, that if you were to die this week or today, that you're not sure if you'd make it to heaven or to hell. See, there's only two options. What would, how would you respond this morning? How many would respond by saying, yes, I know 100% without a shadow of a doubt that I'm a believer, that Jesus is in my heart. Would you just slip up your hand where you are? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Lord, for that assurance that faith, yeah. You can put your hands down, sure. If you slipped up your hand just because of, you thought that's what was right, or, or maybe you didn't slip up your hand this morning, and you're ready to receive Christ, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm going to ask with everyone, head bowed, eyes closed, would you respond to the Lord this morning just by slipping up your hand, and I want to pray with you today? Is there anyone here, first service, at the Gateway Church, October 13th, 2013, they would surrender their heart to the Lord. Just slip up your hand right where you are. Okay. All right. If I could get your eyes on me for a moment. There were no hands for salvation this morning. And that's okay. But what does that speak to us? What could that speak to us this morning? It goes back to that point that we need to stock the pond. Is that, you understand what I'm saying? We need to be bringing, inviting those that need the Lord. And not only be an example in our own lives and reach out with that, which is so important, but let's bring someone that could hear the word of the Lord and respond. Okay? Would you stand? I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you this morning as you go. And then as you leave, we're going to give you a faith promise card. You can rip it up and throw it away. Just wait till you get outside the doors. But I'm going to encourage you to take that and to really pray about what God would have you to do over the next few weeks. And I believe that God wants to speak to us in this regard. We want to be open to that. But let me just pray. Lord, I pray a blessing over your people, people that you love and care for, that you're working in their lives to do great and mighty things. And God, I pray that you're, you would capture our hearts together. Lord, that you would encourage us to do something beyond what seems even possible in our own mind. Lord, do something new and fresh hearts and in our lives today. Lord, we lift you up. We bless you, Lord. We give you the praise. We give you all the glory. Lord, go before us, behind us, and all around us and bring us back together again to be able to do it again, to worship, to be in your presence, to love on one another. We pray it all in Jesus' name. If you need prayer for anything this morning, don't hustle off. We'll stay and pray and anoint you with oil. Uh, pray for the sick. Otherwise, go in the grace of God. We love you. Thank you for being here this morning. God bless you.